The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell, Mixed Martial Arts Edition, back with the syringe, injection to follow with that one and only performance enhancing audio. Yes, you will be impressed by what this show has to offer you. I'm not impressed by your performance. Hey, oh, nice George GSP. All right, folks, uh, it's BC. Brandon Wise going to bring that fella in in a second. Uh, it is coronavirus season, so hopefully you and yours are doing well in this outbreak. We are uh, thankful for your listenership and thankful to, to kind of give you a pause here and allow you to just have some fun as we break down uh, the headlines that are available in mixed martial arts this week as UFC's Dana White continues to try to push the schedule forward despite the obvious health concerns to all. We've also got a trio of interviews, yes, conducted right before this outbreak took place, but conducted at the Dominance MMA Media Day event in Las Vegas, uh, the day of UFC 248. We've got the Triple C, the cringe master, Henry Cejudo. We've got top bantamweight contender, Marlon Moraes. And we've got Frankie Edgar, the answer about his own future at Bantamweight to come. You're not going to want to miss that. You're also not going to miss on the end of this show when Brandonium Wise and I do a dive, a wide and deep dive. Whoa. I didn't. Wow. Um, on all things Netflix's The Tiger King. If you ain't woke, get there. Wow, brother. Wow. All right. Let's, why don't we just face the pain to start off? <laughs> It's Brandon Wise of CBS Sports, editor, writer, uh, former All-State left tackle. B-dubs, you're in the same predicament I am, stuck in our Connecticut homes. How are we holding up, bro? Straight up. Straight up, now tell me, brother. How are you and yours doing? I will get to talk to you now that you have stopped talking and have allowed the airwaves for me um i'm doing all right man i i spent my sunday doing yard work for the first time at our new place How'd uh, that feel? my back is still hurting it's now what tuesday um i feel hurt but i'm also happy just because it's it's something i've never had a chance to do before I like i didn't do this when i was sorry doctor what? said you need a backyotomy keep going oh my god um 
Yeah, I don't. I never did yard work when I was a kid with my parents or anything. So this is like a first for me. Um, I filled 19 of those refuse bags with just leaves, not even like other stuff, just leaves. So I have a big project ahead of me is what I'm getting at. And having all this time is going to help me get this project done. I have a I have a fight with a, a, a leaf bag. I have a, 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 I have a fight uh, with a, a Thailand guy. Thailand guy, leaf bag. Um, congratulations on uh, home ownership. I as well. The wife's to-do list is out of control. I'm cleaning gutters. I'm I'm doing wacky, wild things. Cleaned out the garage. Got a rental truck the other day, Brandon. Yes, Rented I it heard. from a place that wasn't even in business anymore. That was great when I pulled up. Shout Wait, they to- weren't in business? No, I don't know if they are anymore. It was all kind of shut down and gross. Uh, it was like a U-Haul rental center. Uh, U-Haul still let me book it there online, right? And put my credit card info down. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, but uh, no, I went to Home Depot on the bailout. But uh, Brandon, we are, we are understandable that... Uh, not everybody's in the same situation. You know, I've been saying on the airwaves that first four or five days of this situation was mentally a problem. I had to get away from Luke Thomas's Twitter account. I had to stop feeling like the world was going to end, even though I, you know, I obviously believe that there's some legitimate concerns out there. Um, I've loved and enjoyed kind of unplugging still, you know, still, still working. You're still in my, my DM saying, when are you going to send that story for the three days old? Right. You're still doing that to me. But, um, Family time, dog time, lifetime. But I get, Brandon, that uh, there are people out there who lost their jobs because of this, who are battling illness. Brandon, I'm wondering if I had corona back in January when I was in the hospital. You won't let me live that reality in my head. But there's a very large uh, set of the population who are struggling right now. Do you have any uh, kind words, any advice for how you get through? I mean, some of my get through, Brandon, is a sixer of IPAs. and I'm not going to lie about that. But... um. How are you getting through, big guy? <laughs> I mean, I have told other friends that if I make it through this isolation without becoming an alcoholic, that's going to be a win because I feel like that's all I'm doing now when I get done with stuff in, during the middle of the day as I go to my fridge and I grab a beer. But, I mean, I'm doing all right, man. There's only so much we can really do. And you and I's job, as it currently st- sits right now, is doing what we've been doing you know we're home most of the time anyway you get to travel a little bit more but like we're both home a lot we're just families are doing more and more stuff together it feels like and i think that's good i also think that i was having a a rougher time until i started this damn documentary on friday night (laughs) and i just like it's made me the happiest i've been in a long time because of I'm just like, all right, I could be like these people and have just the weirdest life in the world. Uh, we, we will break that down at length on the other end, but uh, there's an addiction in that show. We're talking about Tiger King, the documentary on Netflix, focusing on uh, these big cat owners, Joe Exotic. I mean, there's so much to break down on this show. Um, <laughs> it's not only an addiction to watch that. While I'm watching it, I'm funneling beers at a level that I don't normally do. It's like, I just, wow, that's an escape. I, of course, Brandon, have been going down uh, for Morning Combat, the show I do on Showtime with Luke Thomas. been watching military movies up my arse. I've been catching up on a lot of... A lot of stuff that I normally dude, don't have the time. Okay, dude, the military movies need to stop though. Uh, like you know, you're you're getting out of control 
with the military obsession. Like, I'm glad I brought you back down a level with Joe Exotic. Do you know what you what needs to stop, Brandon? You, okay, bro? I think I you should shut, shut up. You're by wrestling yourself right now. Are, are you still drunk right now? Are you still drunk? Or what, what, what's no. going on? No. Yeah. But I what, the, what is going on with him? I'm gonna go have a Your period. voice is kind of you. What, what is happening with you? My God, are you are you LT? Are you okay? Is is up up here? Is it hey, 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 hit too much or what? Hey, hey. Wow, that's bad audio right there. I didn't realize it goes that long. I mean, I might be a little, but you know, we get around. I mean, fourth wall removal. I caught you day drinking the other day, Brandon. All right, fourth wall removal. Okay. <laughs> I mean. You act like it was like 8 a.m. It was like 4 in the afternoon. Uh, All right. We got a lot uh, coming on this show. As I mentioned, big interviews. We're going to update the latest news in MMA. There are a few. Shout out. By the way, seriously. Shout out to the. 249. We're still doing this, baby. And shout out to the folks, Ariel Hawani, guys like that, who are still pumping out the interviews, making it. Aaron Bronstetter of TSN getting in the Instagram game. Kevin, I only having weird interviews with Dana on Instagram live there. People are still working. We're still working. But to pay those bills, Brandon, right, to wear the ballsy.com hat that I wear in public all the time, we got to pause for the cause and hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know that look. Dig it. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. We're back. BCB dubs interviews to come. Henry Cejudo, Marlon Moraes, Frankie Edgar, and a deepeth to the dive on all things Netflix. Tiger King. Wow, brother. Wow. Wow. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Actually, there's multiple dorks. Okay, there's a lot of touching going on how on you, that show. How right? do you not have a tiger sound on this soundboard that you found every other kind of sound with? Brandon's like you had like cockroaches hissing once. How do you not have a tiger growl? Oh uh, yeah, let's get ready for Netflix's Tiger King. That's a lion, technically. Brandon, okay? <laughs> What's the difference between a lion and a tiger? I don't know. I don't know, but I love big cats. That's why I'm like all fired up to watch this. And I'm like, wait, every creepy person on here loves big cats way more than I do. I need to get away from this love. At the beginning, I was typing to you in real time. I'm like, dude, I totally pay money to hang out with Joe Exotic and rub cats. Now I'm like, get that ish away from me. All right. Can't, can't, you know, can't spoil the booty, Brandon. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. Whoa. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, wow, I think I've heard that before from a female, you know? All right, this is weird, Brandon. Let's get into the uh, weirdness that is mixed martial arts and the reaction to corona season. So here's the deal, Brandon. The last time we spoke, uh, Dana White was sort of forced, finally, to listen to state and government uh, (laughs) regulations on how to react to this. Three straight fight night cards canceled for the UFC, but Dana maintained the whole time as he does to this day, right? To this day that UFC 249 will go on in some form. Um, What did I just say, Brandon? To this day, to this day, to this day, 
you just yeah, right? Wow, that got me fired up, right? I don't agree with the part about me being horny all hours of the day. Some hours. <laughs> few hours in the day. Few hours of the day. Um, uh, but Brandon, what came out of that in a weird sort of Instagram live that Kamaru Usman, UFC welterweight champion, did with Dana, that uh, Dana White called MMA journalists the wimpiest wimps in the world and essentially blamed them for pushing the public panic button and carrying on the narrative that we're all going to die, which, I mean, <laughs> there's some reasons to believe that. Um, uh, how do you feel this, Brandon? Pause a second on 249. We'll get to Tony Habib, but just Dana's, I guess, predictable reaction. How did you feel that? You're part of this media problem, all right? Um, so the last time we talked, fights were still on as far as we knew. Last As of last Monday when we recorded... UFC London, UFC Portland, and UFC Columbus were still on the books, um, all moving – well, the la- the latter two moving to Vegas. But he was still planning on having an event in London up until, I think, Monday night when London all of a sudden was like, um, so yeah, this corona stuff is here now and we can't really have people going outside. And Leon Edwards was like, I'm not getting on a plane if I can't be guaranteed that I'm coming home. Yeah, so – I feel like at that point is when Dana should have took a look in the mirror like, hmm, maybe I'm the problem here instead of saying that the media is the problem. I'm the boss. What? I'm the boss. It's my way and no other way. Yeah, Brandon, wake like, up, except it's not really. Except it's the government's way and not really your way in this situation because, man, this is where like the stick to sports stuff becomes an issue because like – he was supposed to be listening to Donald Trump here, and up until, like, Donald Trump came out and said we can't have gatherings of more than 10 people after going from 100 to 50 to then 10, he was still going to do this and push to do these fights. And for him to then say that this is the media's fault, that they're the wimpiest people in the world when they don't have – he said, did he say something like they don't have families at home to worry about that they have to feed every night? And I'm just like – do you hear yourself talking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're getting to the point where almost everyone knows somebody who who is ill at this point or lost their job. I mean, like it's getting like you can't. You know what? We but haven't Dana, seen this. We've seen crazy Dana. We always get sort of right wing crazy Dana, and I don't mean that as like a damn all the right wing. I mean, I'm more conservative than I am liberal. I'm just saying we've we've seen crazy in one direction Dana, but we haven't seen like 2008 Loretta Hunt video Dana, where he's just like ripping people at like an extreme non-PC level in a while. This felt like a tease back to those days, Brandon. I'm dude. It's, it's been, it was so frustrating. Like that entire weekend covering UFC Brasilia, which was fun in the moment. And then you realize, yeah, we probably put those people at risk for something bad here. And then to, I don't know that we actually got the notice of it, but to have these three events canceled, and then to not know if these people all got paid for their fights that were supposed to happen while Dana is telling people that they're not they they don't have families to worry about like that reporters don't have families to worry about to me that's just like you can't have things both ways man like you can't be this absolute um rebel renegade promotion who who's going to have events at all costs yet we don't actually know that you're paying these people for fights that were supposed to happen that they could not control not happening so I, I, I'm just, I'm kind of over Dana at this point. 
if we get 249 in some capacity, awesome. But I feel like it's going to be super shady no matter how this goes down because he's going to have to go outside the country to somewhere else to do this. Nothing pisses me off more than guys not making weight. Uh, it's, well, it's going to be hard for these guys to make weight. I want to bring up a tweet, Brandon, from three hours ago from our boy Aljo, Aljamain Sterling, who said, I don't even have access to my gym anymore. It's been a complete ban for everyone, and you guys think I'm taking a fight? Yeah, okay. I use that to illustrate the reality, Brandon, that even if you're just an average Joe citizen who's in shape and every day like is used to going to the gym or working out, you're trying to build something in your basement to make amends right now, yet you're a world-class fighter who... Pretty much every state, you're not, you know, my state, our state, starting today, the, the the things got even tightener in terms of places you can't go in public, and basically they're like, don't leave home for any reason unless it's to get food or go to the doctor. So we're basically at that point. I know Habib has flown back to Dagestan, and I'm sure the Habib Tony level can still insulate themselves and figure something out. But you want to talk about the fear of what this does of what forcing people to travel would do, not just to fighters, to the exposure level, but to PR people, to internal camera guys, all that stuff. I'm suddenly like, did I have corona when I was hospitalized for pneumonia and the doctors couldn't figure it out? I know you're shaking your head, but you know what, Brandon? I was every other week to Vegas sticking microphones in people's faces. Was I part of the problem? And yet now we're like, when we're at like crisis point, we're still going to try to pull these fights off. Look, like you said, if Tony Habib happens and it's in a, Saudi palace and it's one fight we're all going to be happy just because it breaks the monotony it's a taste of what we used to do and what we do for a living and also from that bottom line Brandon our own jobs it actually gives us something to do but at the same time it's irresponsible do I want it under that setting no we're going to get it you know we're going to get it although here's where I thought Dana was going to get back into the picture okay that March 25th hearing right, which is tomorrow, Wednesday, was supposed to be uh, in Vegas. And I thought that was going to be the one where he could pull some kind of strings politically and allowed, and Nevada would allow him to broadcast from the UFC apex, which was his original plan to get all around this. And in theory, Brandon, I'm going to say this about the UFC. They have built a strong infrastructure. When you have the P.I., and fighters and their teams can essentially come and I don't know if there's like rooms in there, but can come and almost like stay there and train and eat and all that there. You've almost built like a, a campus. So they are getting closer to actually maybe being able to pull that off, except for Las Vegas just canceled that damn meeting because things are crazy right now. So if that fight happens and we need it, right, we need it so badly in terms of fight storylines, not in terms of life storyline, by the way. But if it happens and it's great and it's this like one off where we're back to feeling it again, I'm sure we'll be like, man, we're lucky to have Dana here. But there's so much potential for it to go wrong. And Brandon, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like the only reason why Habib's pushing for it is because Ramadan's coming and he knows he can't fight anyway. And I never felt like Habib is all jazzed up to fight Tony for obvious reasons, right? Like it's maybe the toughest fight available for him. He'll do it. He's a fighter. He's a warrior. But he wants the Connor rematch as much as he's saying he doesn't. Obviously, he does. UFC does. Brandon, that's a pot of gold like we've never seen when they finally do that. So if you're Habib, you're like, I know I got to take a few months off anyway. Let's make sure this Tony fight happens so that when we come back at the end of the year full time, I'm ready to cash that friggin ticket. I think that's part of it. Is that crazy? 
I think it's a little crazy just because I don't know that Habib is the one pushing for this because from what Habib posted, he seems like he's more just like stuck out of the loop right now because I don't think Dana is keeping those guys informed on what he's looking at because Dana, even what you said, Dana is going to Kevin Ioli and and Brett Okamoto like you were talking about before and saying that it's 99% done, but I can't tell you what we're doing yet. Well, why not? Because they're because you're waiting to see if Corona gets to this place. Like what, like what's the reasoning you can't tell anybody? Like you kind of need to tell the fighters what's going on. And I think Habib is, I mean, I understand what you're saying with your theory, but I also think that Habib respects Tony as a fighter more than he respects Connor. And he knows the threat that Tony brings him. Like you mentioned, but I also think, I, I mean, do you think that this ma- makes more sense? Do you think that he thinks Tony would might get an advantage if the crowd starts getting behind him and rallying him, rallying behind him instead of Habib, where Habib is then backed into a corner or something? Do you I think, don't think that- Habib thinks like that. No, I think Habib would fight you in front of your your mom's house. He wouldn't care about the home court advantage, right? Like that's his style. But uh there are some sort of weird elements. Like look, I don't Here's where I who's here's who I don't damn necessarily. Look, fighters are a different breed. They put themselves in danger on a daily basis, okay? They're just a different category of people. By the way, now that I'm in this war movie binge, so are soldiers, by the way, okay? It's a different mindset. Don't shake your don't you ever shake your head at me, okay? As long as my name is still on this putt. No, I'm just kidding. Um Brandon, but I don't damn them if they're just like stir crazy like we all are and they're like, I got to get back to do what I do. I also don't damn them if they're like, if we don't fight for the next six months, we don't get paid because that's also a reality. It's the same reality if you deliver pizzas, Brandon, or, or whatever, and that and your local restaurant's shutting down. Um, But I, I don't know. I feel like there needs to be more adults in the room. Would, would I pop for this? Yes, of course. It's like, you know. You know, uh, you love steak, right? Um, one of my hands may have Corona, but here I can serve you the best steak you ever eat. Would you take the, some people might take the chance, Brandon. People are just going to take this chance and eat the steak. Okay, Brandon. And it's probably going to taste good because it's like the best fight you can make in all of combat sports on paper. and One of the best ever in UFC history. So of course it's going to taste good. I just don't want to see anybody die. Is it going to be on a cruise ship like Brett Brookhouse is telling us? Dude, that was to me. I was thinking about that the other day. And how funny would that be if Vince McMahon and Dana White got together and just put the wrestlers and fighters on a cruise ship and just went out into the ocean? But my question is then, what happens when you hit rough sea and the cage like starts shaking yeah, and rolling? Yeah, that's, that's not the right idea. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I've always loved the idea of unique spots. Most big fights will never go to new unique arenas, Brandon, because – you want to make the most money and you can make the most money in Vegas or you can make the most money like in a stadium like AT&T Stadium in Dallas. So I'm always like, man, somebody should go to Yankee Stadium like where Muhammad Ali used to fight and do something big like that. You don't see it too often. Sometimes I even make jokes and go, you know what? They should take two Irish boxers and go on Ellis Island and put on a fight. Yeah, that'll that's a statement right there. But I'm always partially realistic in that i'd love to see a fight in a weird location put a ufc main event on top of a building it would never happen because you need the crowd now that there's no crowd is there potential that we see something like i mean how cool would it be from a tv standpoint suspending the fear of the virus for a second if tony and habib were in dubai on top of like uh a giant skyscraper 
And you had helicopters with cameras. Like the Fast and the Furious? Yes, basically, because my wife just made me watch part one of that. So, yes, basically that, okay? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm in, I'm in on it. I'm in on anything weird at this point because of where we are in society. But also, like, is this still going to be a pay-per-view? Or is ESPN going to, like, beg them to put this on regular oh, ESPN? No. Oh, no. They, they have no content right now. There's going to be a pay-per-view, Brandon, okay? They got to they gotta make the money, all right? But how? But seriously though, ESPN ESPN's counter programming to the pay per view is going to be like the Ocho with like cherry spitting or something. Like they have nothing else to do right now. Yeah, that is fair. That's why they're getting in the WWE business. Brandon, did you see WrestleMania on there? I don't have ESPN, so I did not see that. No. All right, all right. Thank you, Brandon. So that's where we're at with that. Um, we don't know the location sent. Please. Please um, send it to us. Please, Dana, please, if you've got it already. You know what I'm saying? Just where's the button, Brandon? Do we have the button? If you want to find me, please just send me location. Send me location. Dana's got that location. We'll find that out soon enough. Brandon, another MMA news. He did say, say, by the way, that it's going to be a full lineup of fights. It's not just going to be Habib and Tony. Um, I, so they're they're gonna put on like twelve fights that night if if this happens. Your point about regular ESPN, if if they were only able to put on this one fight and you put it on regular ESPN, you bid basically like an hour preview show to like set the stage with interviews with everybody. It could be a pretty uh sick opportunity to get like seven million viewers to watch it or something like that. I do and get a that. bunch of casuals that have never seen it before. That's a fair point, and it's probably the best fight you could make. But uh, I feel like they would just go pay-per-view route they they did look they've already sent out emails looking for local fighters when they tried to move that london card to like thackerville oklahoma on an indian (laughs) reservation or something all right and they'll also probably charge a hundred dollars for this pay-per-view too actually bro if you want all of our worlds to connect you know where tony and habib are gonna fight joe exotics wonderland of of big cat tigers okay that's where the cage in the cage in the in the damn cage yes Uh, let's go quickly around the horn here of actual MMA news that is out there. Uh, ATT, your backyard down, your ex backyard down there in Coconut Creek, American top team, um, banning trash talk moving forward unless fighters have a scheduled fight against each other. Obviously, Brandon, this rule reeks of the, of the Colby Covington situations where he's constantly on the verge of fighting plenty of big name fighters. And just as we speak right now, Yuani Young Jacek's doing interviews and she's already throwing shade at Colby again. Um, I'm on. I'm telling you right now, this is a genius move by Dan Lambert to prevent potential not only big name fist fights in your own gym, but we just saw Dean Thomas leave ATT. Right? He was just on the Luke Thomas radio show explaining why you don't want to create divisions where you're breaking up what you have. And Brandon, what they have there at ATT, you and I have been in there, is a top shelf like professional organization that's breeding champions and that people are moving their life to get closer to. I applaud Lambert because he basically said, this is my fault. I'm a pro wrestling guy. I get too much in love with trash talking. I let this go on for too long. Is that realistic to say to grown men and women in 2020, um, don't talk bad about your coworkers? Yeah. I mean, it's like an HR rule at this point then to make this a, a thing because I think Dan realizes what happened in that there were rumors that he was the voicing behind a lot of what Colby was saying. And I think that he realizes that Colby is gone a little too far. And that now because he's, he's trash talking his own teammates that it's gotten out of hand and this is how he's trying to stop it. And that 
to me, if I'm Dan Lambert at this point and Colby decides to continue doing this, I mean, you might have to say, hey, Colby, like, I know and I love you and I, I, and you're awesome, but you might need to find another team, man. Like, Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah. I love you. We can't have this fighting anymore, like, because there were – I don't know if this was actually, like, printed or anything, but I think Jorge Masvidal said they have to sneak Colby in for his training sessions so that Jorge doesn't start fighting with him, like, in front of everybody. Like, you can't have that. That's not harmony. That's not a, a normal working environment for anybody. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, that ain't and, good. And did you, did you also note that Dean Thomas left? Yeah, I just said that to you, Brandon. I'm sorry. You talk a lot on this show, okay? Um, the words came out of my mouth. They did not intercept your ear hole, Brandon. They may have to inject right. you with some of that, okay? I love you. See you soon. Uh, Brandon, shout out to uh, Steve Miocic and um, the earthquake survivors in Zagreb as it hits his family and friends in Croatia. Um, we mentioned the Aljo news there. Uh, apparently, that'll put a halt on the idea that he's fighting Corey Sanhagen in San Diego, correct? I, I guess so, even though that is like one of my favorite fights you can make right now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dude, you can't make like I said. I've said this before on the show. You can't make a bad fight at bantamweight, and if everything goes the way that it's supposed to be going right now, we're heading in a good place for where Hen- when Henry's healthy and whenever we have fights again, there's going to be some fun stuff to make. You're darn right. I mean, look, here's the deal on this whole uh, Corona season, and as it as it uh, affects boxing and MMA, outside of Dana forcing a 249 to happen for for a few different reasons, when we get the go ahead, Brandon. Could it be June 1st or is that too optimistic? Could it be we wait till summer? We don't know. I mean, we could, we could be a, you know, we, we may not get a regular sports schedule. I mean, our kids in schools are being canceled basically until at least September. You never know what's going to happen. But let's say, Brandon, people started respecting quarantines and there was a better handle on, uh, containing this pandemic. And then, Brando, you started to see like, okay, we can allow limited gatherings. We can allow sporting events with, uh, you know, 2,000 people. And we get back into a fight run. Dude, it's going to be like all killer, no filler. It's going to be our dream when we always say, man, too bad uh, MMA or boxing couldn't have an off season, Or too bad we could stop the watering down of cards and condense these great fights together on the same night. Dude, it's going to be fire because everyone's going to need fights, Brandon. Because they need to pay their bills. Dana White ain't paying your bills, bro. All right. You guys want to go back and be a fucking bartender, uh, a short order cook, a fucking scientist? If that's what you really want to be, then go for it. Brandon, they can't even do that anymore. I think uh, Daniel Cormier said this the other day when he was talking with Ariel that all of these cards now are going to be loaded. And I was actually wondering the same thing. So Dana hasn't unveiled any of these plans yet for 249, obviously, like we talked about before. But do you think that they're going to just take those main events, maybe not Woodley and Edwards because Edwards isn't traveling, as he says. But do you think that they take Overeem, Walt Harris, um, what's the other one? Jair Um, Rosenstruck? Yes, thank you. And Francis Ngannou and throw them on this 249 card and just say – Screw it. These are the best fights we have on paper right now. Let's just make this happen. Well, that would be a fan's dream. I have almost a flip side fear, Brandon. We know that company men get 
rewarded all the time in UFC. If you take fights on short notice, if you whatever, are we going to see fighters like completely blackballed for speaking up and being like, sorry, boss, I ain't traveling to this. All right, that's better than what I thought you were going to say because I where I thought you were going was that we were going to get more Diego Sanchez level fighters. Ah. We were going to get some Jim Millers back in the mix, ah. just old dudes who just want to play and fight still. Ah, ah, no, no. But yes, I I, 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 I can rest my bells on your forehead. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, sorry, I haven't hit that button in what a while. <laughs> I didn't know where that was going. That was Connor sending uh, Mendez to hell over the phone. Keep going, Brandon. I was going to say, I, I do agree with you, though. I, I I was wondering this out loud when, what was it, uh, the London card, I guess, where they were saying, they're sending out that email for anybody who has fighters that are in the U.S. or can travel to the U.S. that are willing to fight on on six days' notice. Like, if you didn't reply to that or if you said no, like, are they just going to push you to the back burner until, like, November or December? Uh, yep, I would I would guess so, given the history. Uh Dana loves people that are roll the dice, and he's – I mean, look, I got my tickets to 249. I don't know if you do. You know, they're, they're selling you all wolf tickets, people. You're eating them right up. George here is selling you wolf tickets. Dana here is selling you wolf tickets. The UFC is selling you some wolf tickets. It's not wrong. You guys are eating them right up. Brandon, most of the things that the Diaz brothers say on this show, not wrong. Everybody's on steroids. The whole UFC, everybody. Right? Right? You're on steroids. Yes, Brandon, you. Okay, you. I watched uh, GSP and Nick Diaz fight the other day again. That was a fun fight. Dude, I've been watching G- a lot of G- fight pass. Yeah, keep going. GSP whooped his ass in that fight. He did. He did. Nick had I a moment. Know. I think it was round three or four. He had a moment. I mean, he stuffed a takedown and he landed a couple punches, but like GSP was pushing forward the whole fight, like dominated him on the ground. It, to me, like it was clear that GSP destroyed him. I don't know why Nick yeah. being – the Diaz brother that he is just continues to argue that he won that fight. He had much more success against Anderson in a fight in which he largely didn't have much success. So that's the deal on that. Where I come yeah. from, you know, people like that get slapped. All right. All right. That's it, Brandon. We got to keep this show moving because we got a lot of Tiger King to talk about on the other end. <laughs> hey, why don't we throw to some interviews once again just to set the stage. These were from March 10th or, or whatever, March 7th. Dominance MMA, Media Day, Las Vegas, still pertinent to what's going on. Obviously, coronavirus is going to pause most of the plans here. But we got important talks with some fighters about the future. We're going to start off with Triple C, the cringe master himself. It's Henry Cejudo, Brando. Enjoy. Triple C is in the house, a gold digger, self-admitted. It's Henry Cejudo, your Bantamweight champion. Do one of those C's stand for cringe? Are you okay with me saying that? Cringe, corn, whatever you want to call it. But one thing you will call me, and that's the greatest combat athlete of all time. You've been very successful getting people to know you, even if they're not fight fans. You've crossed over in certain ways. You're embracing the cringe. But I did lose a bit of my soul when you put the diapers on the title belts. Could you even understand the cringe level of that? I just so know, man. It's cringe level 9,000, man. It just comes into mind, and I, I just think of these. I get these crazy thoughts in my head, and I just reveal them to you guys. All right. You fought for and received Jose Aldo as your next opponent. I know why people hate it. I love it because I love history. I love Jose Aldo. You're going to be in his backyard for this fight. I think people are under. I think they're overlooking that. I was like, I'm, I'm challenging a former legend. Yeah, his last fight he did lose, but a lot of people thought he won. It was a very close fight against a number one contender. He's a legend. I'm going to be fighting him in Brazil, and that's it. I'm doing it for my Brazilian people. Uh, you have leaked out a couple comments. People don't know if you're serious. That hey, 
you're a belt collector, maybe you'd go up to featherweight. People say, no, 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 he's too short, he's too short. Is this a true fact that you're really thinking about this? No, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky's uh, about two inches taller than me. So I like that advantage. Why not? I can make history. Conor McGregor might get that third shot of fighting for a third belt, but he's not going to win. He's, he's not going to beat a, 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 a big guy like, Kam, like Kamaru Usman. And, 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 and for me, I feel like I, I actually could do it. I actually feel that I have the chances to be Volkanovski. I really do. And I sincerely mean that. Like, it's not just smoke coming out of my ass. Well, a man of many divisions, no longer, though, flyweight. You saved the division, but then you left it. Why? I didn't leave it. I defended my title on the couch. Is that right? <laughs> uh, would you say you're happy to never have to make uh, 125 again? Um, to, you know, to be determined. But, yeah, I'm, I don't, dude, that's, that, that weight class is hard to make, man. I'm trying to enjoy myself. I'm trying to – and I'm Mexican, man. I love Mexican food, so. All right, when Davidson Figueredo went in there against Joseph Benavidez, wild fight. Your thoughts on how it all broke down, a guy missing weight. But then, he, you know, when he wins, everyone's like, well, maybe Cejudo should come back down. Your thoughts on this? Whole thing? No, he, uh, he, it's a cheat, man. It, it's it's two, and a half, two and a half pounds. That's a lot of weight. It's not so much the weight of it, but it's the fatigue to getting down to that weight. The way, how it's going to leave your body. So I don't, I, I, Figueredo did, uh, Joe did lose, but Figueredo didn't win. You know who won? He's standing here, right here. <laughs> well, yeah. well, on the couch. Final second, final question, five seconds here. If Demetrius Johnson ever came back, do you think he would? And would he be looking for you? Uh, if Demetrius Johnson ever decided to come back, man, I'll make him bend the knee again. There it is. Henry Cejudo, thank you so much, sir. Thank you. All right, special thanks to the king of uh, cringe and corn, as he said. Brandon, the main thing I took away from there, he thinks he's going to be the first three-belt champion. We've heard him say that. I like that he hedged it and said, look, Connor's going to get the first chance because that's what he does, but he's going to lose to Usman. But he legitimately thinks he can beat Volkanovski. Now, I, you know, you notice you didn't hear him say I can beat Max. I don't think he would take that fight. But Brandon, do you think he could compete, compete at 135? I'm sorry, 145 against Volkanovski at two inches shorter and... Because he's a company guy who tries to sell himself, would UFC potentially give him that shot down the road if Al still had the belt? If Al, oh, if if Volkanovski still had the belt, I thought you were talking about Aljo for a second. Um, I understand the thought process. I understand his theory as to why he thinks he can compete with him. He's also not as strong as Alexander Volkanovsky is, who was at one point over 200 pounds and a rugby player who I understand you can beat that dude. Henry Cejudo, you have all the respect for me in my book. You're an Olympic gold medalist. You've won two belts. That's great for you, man. You're not beating a dude like that who has more strength than you. And I am willing to put money on that right now that that dude is stronger than you. He's going to take you down and he's going to pummel you. He's got a better There's... fight IQ, Brandon. He does. I'm sorry. So who knows a great fighter, but the fight IQ inside of uh, your boy, Alexander the great is, is great. It's great for lack of a better term. Yeah. I, I don't see a way for him to win that fight. And if they book that fight, I'm kind of done. Like, honestly, because that would mean that we would have gone the route of, Sahudo beats beats in quotation marks Mighty Mouse jumps to 135 or I'm sorry fights Dillashaw at 125 when Dillashaw clearly should not have been fighting at 125 knocks him out with a flash knockout goes up to 135 for the vacant belt against Morais wins 
he won that fight. Marais looked looked good for a round, and then he gassed out. But he lost. He he beat Marais. But then he gets a dude off of two losses in Jose, in Jose Aldo, who is jumping the line over like six people who are way more deserving than Jose Aldo. But you heard what he said. He's going into Aldo's backyard. And, who cares? And he also said, Brandon, that um, the win streak he's on. And look, those last three wins that you mentioned are hella impressive in order. Maybe even more impressive than Volkanovski beating, what, like Aldo, uh, what's his name and what's his name in order? Max Holloway and uh, who's the other guy he beat? Uh, you know, the other guy he knocked out. Who? Who did uh, Volkanovski beat before? Oh, Chad Mendes? Chad Mendes, yes. Um, I mean, look, that's impressive as well. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. I'm more agreeing with you. I do want to ask you, though, someday somebody will do this. As things stand right now, of active fighters, who do you think has the best chance to become the first legitimate Triple C? I think he has the best argument just because I feel like the power between the three weight classes that he is going to attempt to do it in makes the most sense because for Connor to do it, he would be jumping. What, what is that? 25 pounds total or 35 pounds total. Cause he's going 145, 155, 170, 25 to, to 170. It's just, it, I know there wasn't, we didn't think there was gonna be math, but it's all right. But the power difference between 145 and 170 is not equal to the power difference between 125 and 145. Very fair. And, I don't, I don't see it ever. Ha- you think it might happen? I just can't see it happening. Unless the only way it would happen is like a if, Rumble Johnson, like an absolute freak, like a Rumble Johnson, right? Well, but you would have to do it reverse, though, right? Like you would have to do it kind of the way Jared Cannonier is moving right now, where you would have been successful at heavyweight first, and then slowly move down to light heavyweight, and then to middleweight. Or maybe a Frankie Edgar type, who we're talking to soon. And by the way, Frankie Edgar won a title at lightweight. Fought for a title at at uh, Feather and is now trying to be a bantamweight. I mean, look, he's thirty eight though, so it's you know. But yeah, I guess you'd have to be somebody like that, like you're saying, lower weight classes where you can flip ten pounds fairly easily. But uh, Henry Cejudo, shout out to him. He is a fun quote to talk to, even though he's an absolute bag of cringe. And that's the that's the real <laughs> deal. That's the bottom line because BC said so. Hey, why don't we talk to the, the aforementioned Marlon Marais? Love this guy, an absolute gentleman in person, the Brazilian. Superstar coming your way right now. Enjoy. Here with the great UFC bantamweight Marlon Marais. Marlon, let's be honest here. When you found out Jose Aldo, the man you just beat, was going to get back in the queue and get a title shot against Henry Cejudo, your reaction, be, be honest, was? No. Uh, to be honest with you, I couldn't believe when they announced, but make me like man if you lose to me and it's a split decision maybe could award you with a title shot you know that means it's not not bad to lose to me do you feel like they passed you over because you just fought Cejudo yeah I just fought Cejudo I knew it wasn't my time I knew maybe Petri, Peter Young uh, what's the other uh, Sterling that's some guys there uh, Sandy Hagen all three guys I think they are almost there you know and I, I, I have to do another fight. I, I, I need that. It's good for me. And it's good for everything, you know. Talk of you fighting uh, Peter Jan, Peotre Jan, however we're going to call this guy, has people fired the heck up. This could be explosive. Yeah. Is, that, is that what you yeah, want? Will be. Will be. 100%. He's an explosive fighter. I'm an explosive fighter. He wants to fight for the belt. I want to get back there too, you know. 
maybe it's a shortcut for me and, and maybe it's a shortcut for him, you know. Let's go, get in there, have a good fight, go to Kazakhstan and shock Kazakhstan and the world. <laughs> Kazakhstan hasn't had a big UFC card before as far as I'm concerned. Maybe you can steal some fans over there. Yeah, that's going to be the first time UFC is going to go out there. They pick me and Peter Young to headline the show. Let's go there and do, do, give to the people what they want to see. You got the first taste of what is called Bantamweight Jose Aldo, the legend moving down in weight. He's ripped. He's muscular. Do you think he can win a championship in this division? He does. He can, you know. Fight's a fight, but I would say Henry is the favorite, in my opinion. Is it hard to fight a guy that you're close with? We're at the Dominance MMA Summit here. Henry Cejudo and you are it's kind of in the same camp. Is it awkward when you got to go up against a guy like that? Uh, me and Ali, we have a long relationship. He has a, a long relationship with Henry as well. He does well for him. He does well for me. And at some point, we're going to have to fight, you know. And we all know uh, we all want to be champions. And that's what happened. Uh, was was good for him. He was the champion. And he is the champion. And I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep putting a show and for someday get another opportunity. Is it going to be better for you and your future title hopes for Cejudo to win or Jose Aldo? Uh, on the paper, maybe Aldo, but we'll see. Uh, whatever wins, I'm going to fight. <laughs> All right, what was the biggest lesson you learned in that Cejudo fight? You had your moments before the stoppage. What, what, when you look back, what went wrong? I overdid some things, you know, like I should be smarter and win. And he's such a great competitor, you know, hats off to him. And a lot of people say, what do you did, what you didn't do? And I got to say, he, 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 was, he was there too, you know, and he had so many abilities and he was capable to overcome a, a bad first round. The beginning, the second round was doing very well. So, and then everything changed and he kept the pressure. He didn't let me back on the fight. And that's it. I learned that, you know, I got to be smarter and I definitely can win. Well, he's a great fighter, but his videos are very cringe. We can admit this among men here, right? Yeah, this is how he, what he does, you know. That's not my persona, but if he's happy doing that, hopefully I get to fight him one day and then shut his Hopefully. <laughs> you got to get through Peter, Jan first, and Kazakhstan. We can't wait. Give me one word to describe what this fight will look like. War. <laughs> War it is. Marlon Marais, pleasure talking to you, sir. Best of luck. Thank you so, thank you so much. All right, special thanks to Marlon Marais. Okay, I call him a superstar, Brandon. Maybe I didn't mean that, but he's a great fighter and even better dude. And look, he was humble there. Talked about the mistakes of what went wrong against Henry Cejudo. And talked about that he's not upset that he's not getting this title shot because he understands business. He's not The UFC's not going to push him back into a rematch with Cejudo, even though he knows he beat Aldo in his mind. I mean, I kind of liked his, I guess, his uh, understanding of the situation. He does have a gripe if he wanted to argue, but he's going to go in there against your boy Peyoche Yan, and that crap is going to be hot friggin' fire, brother. Yeah, like I said before, bantamweight right now, you really can't make a bad fight in the top half. It's it's so stacked that every one of those matchups is going to be something insane to watch, like I didn't like it, and and I thought it ended up becoming gross. But even uh, Petra against Uriah Faber was interesting as hell, you know. Um, if you had to make an argument, by the way, we we did this for featherweight last week on our on CBSSports.com where we ranked the greatest featherweight resumes of all time. 
we're going to do bantamweight at some point in the next month because that's what else do we have to do right now? Um, but Marlon Moraes' resume is really weird and interesting because he was the champion at WSOF for a while before coming to UFC. And then he loses his first fight to Rafael Asuncao, but like he rebounded in a big way and then runs into a, a problem against Henry Cejudo. But like where I mean, can you can you figure out a classification for where you would put him right now? I'd have to do the math in there, but uh, I could see top five. I mean, look, you're, you're the debate will ultimately be Dominic Cruz versus Killershaw, correct? I would think so. I would think so. Um, and yeah. where do you put Mighty Mouse? Do you put Mighty Mouse in this conversation? No, I mean, he lost when he stepped up to big bantamweights, right? Yeah, that's the problem. And then got his own division. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got to be those two. I mean, it's probably Dom Cruz for the just the comeback ability. Although, look, I thought TJ beat him head to head. So that's going to be a fun debate when we have it. We did do the uh, featherweights, as you mentioned. Were you shocked that uh, Jose Aldo gets the nod even though he lost twice to Max? I gave Jose the nod at number one in my own rankings. Um, there, to me, you have to look at prime parts of people's career. You can't just use the tail end as like a, a differentiating factor here. And Max was on his way, man. If Max beats Alexander, if if Max still has the title today, I might rank Max above him. But because he lost, and because he did, ha- he's lost twice. Even though he, it, the second one was stepping up to to lightweight, um, it hurt a little bit because this is still considered to be the prime of Max's career. Whereas Jose was clearly towards the end at that point and had been finished by by Connor and I. To me, you look at the prime part of Jose where he didn't lose a fight for a decade, and it's kind of hard to argue with it. Indeed, indeed. Um, and I think Connor, along with Max and Jose, I think Connor actually has an argument here. He finished third in our rankings. I had him at two, so he had seven fights at featherweight, but he destroyed folks. He knocked almost everyone out. And the fact that he has wins over, I know they're young, but over Holloway, Poirier, Prime Aldo with one punch, Mendez, that's pretty that's pretty damn awesome, Brandon, okay? That's just, all right, it is what it is. Hey, we got to keep rolling here. We're going to throw to Frankie. Oh, real quick, uh, don't forget ever what Joseph Benavides said to Cejudo that time. I used to f***ing cool. like you in high school. <laughs> Why did we need to go back to that? Uh, we forgot to talk about Cejudo's thoughts that he's still the flyweight champion. He, who cares? We're going to see that rematch with your boy Davison. All right, it's Frankie Edgar. He's a legend. I love that man. He's coming up right now. Enjoy. The legend himself, Frankie Edgar, although you don't want to hear that word. You you don't want to be talking legend until it's all said and done. Yeah, I'm not one to pat myself on the back. You know, uh, I think legend is for, for when, you're, when you're, you know, an old man on a rocking chair, you know? Well, for a quote-unquote old man, you've still got it. You're still fighting at a very elite level. How do you sort of map out the future when you're at this point in your career? Yeah, you know, just take it one at a time. You know, I, I don't have an end date on anything. Um, I'm still enjoying what I do. Uh, I still think I, I, I could hang with the best fighters in the world. And, and, you know, my goal is still to be a champion. I know I had, you know, a couple of hiccups past fight, but I'm going to a new weight class, and, and we're going to see what that brings. You're going into a weight class that's filled with killers. Does that motivate you? Does that get you even more excited? Yeah, you know, I got into the sports fight the best, you know, from day one. And uh, it's no different. You know, I'm going to go down 35 and try to fight the best guys there. We've never seen um, somebody move around as easily from weight class to weight class as you've been able to do. And you mix that with your longevity. Guys, your size don't seem to be great in their late 30s. 
have you been able to do this, be a, be a floater and pull it off wherever you go and stay at the highest level? I think just consistency. You know, I'm in the gym all the time. Uh, I'm always trying to learn. Uh, I, I don't take this for granted. You know, I know it, it, it could slip away real quickly. And, uh, you know, the sport's still kind of, I mean, it's, it's not so young anymore. It's been around for a while, but it, it's changing every day. And if you, you know, you stay at the gym, you're going to get passed by. And luckily, I, I've been able to, you know, keep up with the pack. How hard of a cut is this for you at 135? Uh, it's gonna it's gonna suck, you know, a little bit. I don't think it's any more than any any of the other thirty five pounders are here. So, you know, now I'm gonna be pretty much where everyone else is. You know, I, and I still don't think I'm gonna be the biggest thirty five pounder either. Look, a lot of controversy when Jose Aldo gets the title shot coming off of two defeats. I talked to Dana about it. He said, "When was the last time we weren't getting criticized for making fun matchups?" How do you view that? I, I, I get where they're coming from. You know, um, you know, there's the other guys that are more deserving for sure. But you know, you see how this company goes, and, and, and they put fights that they think they're going to sell the most, you know, and uh, I know they're looking for, a, a, they would love to have a Brazilian champion, and it's a pretty good opportunity to, to give Aldo another shot. He did have a close fight, and then, you know, Cejudo's calling him out, so it kind of made sense. You know, you at times in your early rise, people were kind of calling you the Arturo Gatti of MMA for a little bit. Is that something that you loved, or maybe something that you're like, hey, I'm a little bit more skilled, I'm a, I'm a championship level. How do you, how'd you feel those compliments? Uh, I, I love him, man. I was a Arturo Gatti fan growing up. You know, obviously he's a, you know, Jersey claimed him. I know he's a Canadian guy, but Jersey claimed him, and um, He's all heart, man, and if I, if I get described by, by my heart, that, that's, that's the best thing you can get described by. Well, that seemed to be your greatest skill among being a great boxer and, and, and takedowns and all that. Uh, do you think it was something that separated you from the very elite peers that you had, that you always knew you had more in the tank or more willingness to go through what you needed to? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I was in a sport, or I was in a weight classes that I'm, I'm always the smaller guy. I'm probably not the, the strongest guy, so I had to make it up for it somehow, and, and I was able to do that with my grit and determination. Speaking of a guy like Gotti, him and Mickey Ward sort of have this connection for the rest of their lives. They became great friends, trained each other, all that stuff. Who do you think is the one guy from your past that you will be linked with when, when your career is all said and done? Uh, you know, I probably Gray Mater. We had some pretty epic fights, especially the last two. You know, we fought three times. One was a draw, uh, one one, lost one. So, uh, you know, I think we'll be connected. You know, I, I always see him around. He's always a good guy, too. So uh, we got a little story together. There were a few different seasons where you seemingly were deserving of a Conor McGregor fight more than anyone, and you never quite got there. Big lament in your career? Yeah, it's something I'm, I definitely uh, I'm uh, I'm upset that didn't you know come come to fruition. You know, uh, there was a couple times right. You know, even even not too long ago, even he fought Cowboy, he was calling me out first. So I was trying to get that, but you know that's the way that life goes. And uh, I don't know, who knows? Maybe maybe down the road. I mean, still got a couple more years left. Maybe he does too. And if we link up, that'd be great. But if not, it'll be a bit of a missed opportunity. You know, you fought at 155 in your absolute prime. And it, looking back, it's like, how were you able to pull that off knowing the size of the guys you can go against there? If you could have done your career over, would you have stayed in the same weight classes at the same times that you have? You know, when I first got in the UFC, 55 was the only division that there was. When I first started fighting MMA, there wasn't even a 55 division in the UFC. So I thought I was going to have to go overseas to fight. And then once they brought the 55-pound division back, I was like, you know, this is the only, only spot I can fight at. So that's uh, – but when they did come up with the 45, I, you know, I was obviously reluctant. I stayed at 55 because I was successful. I mean, I went down at 55 after losing two really close fights that, you know, I thought I won to Benson Henderson. So – you know, who knows? Like maybe I can still be the champ 55 and then lose those fights. <laughs> all right, it's not time to look back on your career, but do you have the one loss out of all of them that eats at you the most? That you're that you're hitting the bag still these days? You're like, man, if I can go back and fix that, I'd do it right now. It's just always the last one. 
you know, this one's most fresh in my head. One I want to kick my kick kick myself for, you know, a little bit. But uh, you got to get over, it, man. And, you know, I, I I've been down before, you know, so you've got to climb up and get back up on your feet. All right, to close here, you're going to be in the midst of it at 135. We've got young guys on the rise. We've got some older names trying to kick back in there. Dominic Cruz is around. Cody Garbrandt. What type of name would be next for you if you could have your way? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to let Ali and UFC figure it out. Someone, you know, in the top ten, obviously. Um, We'll see. We'll see. I know they're kicking around some names now, so I hope to find out something soon. You got a question? This is the answer. Frankie Edgar, always a pleasure talking to you, buddy. Appreciate it, man. All right, special thanks to the answer. You got questions. He's the answer. Brandon, the only thing I want to talk about now is how we're living this virus season right now, how we're getting by, and for the last friggin' 12 hours for me, ever since you forced me to watch the new Netflix documentary, seven episodes 45 minutes in length about each Tiger King. Okay, okay, wait. You got to tell people, though, right now, if they haven't watched it yet, to just pause and come back to this after you've watched the episodes. There will be spoilers. Now, update people. There's seven episodes. I'm halfway through episode five. So we're not done talking about this, okay? But I do want to just kind of set the stage first, Brandon. Um... I made a tweet that, that kind of sums it up. The early star of this show is this fella, Joe Exotic. He's got two or three husbands. He is a country music. He's got 24 songs and 16 music videos. I mean, the guy is just, he's the most absurd human I've ever seen. And yet, Brandon, he might not even be in the top five of most absurd people in this damn documentary. So what is this documentary? If you haven't seen it, it's about the the big cat trade. There are people in this country uh, who pay big money for lions, tigers, pumas, leopards, whatever. Oh, you know, you're shaking your no, head. No, 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 no. It's, it's not trade. They're, these people breed and make them into a zoo. Right, they but make... they also sell. So that's trading, Brandon, okay? Okay, okay, Brian, it's your show. You keep talking. Sorry, Brian, on your show, you can redefine the word trade all you want, okay? Anyway, and they're creepers. I mean, I love large cats. <laughs> I go to the zoo. I got to see the large cats, so I get it. But these people are creep shows, and you start to unveil that even though, okay, you're like, well, that guy's creepy, but he's kind of cool. He might have a good heart. And then you're like, oh, he might have killed somebody. Oh, and then this other person. And then you realize, Brandon, that this is a real-life story of really crazy people who own lots of tiger or lions, sorry, and they almost get mauled by them all the time, and they kind of abuse them for money, and some think they're on the right side of history, some think they're on the wrong, but they're all exploiting the tigers or lions. Sorry, tigers, I don't know anymore. And well, yet, they're also trying to legitimately kill each other, and some of them <laughs> are doing jail time. It's... I mean, Brandon, pro wrestling is the is the carnivore is the carnivore. No, is the carnival circus world of of real sports, right? This makes pro wrestling. And by the way, Joe Exotic, we're finding out is somehow connected to pro wrestling. This makes pro wrestling look like Shakespeare on Broadway, Brandon. I mean, Joe Exotic alone, Joe Exotic, um, is is like. The weirdest thing, like, I could talk about hours about the complexities of him. And, Brandon, he's not close to the most evil person on this show. And it's all real. Nobody's acting. Are there people (laughs) that actually, like, are this screwed up, Brandon? Why do I care so much about, is it the subject matter that's hooking us? 
or is it the incredible documentation of this weird subject matter? Talk to me. All right. So when I got through with this show, I legitimately said this might be the best documentary I've ever seen. Like, I'm not this is not hyperbole. This is not me like being that guy. I legitimately think this might be the best documentary I've ever seen because this isn't even about the tigers. This is just about the people involved with the tigers and their I don't want to say mental illness because that seems mean, yes. but these people are not correct in the head. Like there's clearly something going wrong in their lives that has led them to this point. Like Joe Exotic is hiring people fresh out of jail to come work for him and to spoiler alert lose limbs for him and, and not sue him that Dude. one there's a one-armed lady there's guys with no legs there's uh and those are like the normal people in this but They're brandon eating. so i just want to pause you real quick okay. real quick and i know I, you you hate me for it but um there are tv shows that i personally avoid like uh uh, what's that one where people fill their house with crap and they're gross and there's like, oh um, hoarders. I can't watch that because I don't want to support the exploitation of people that have issues and it's bad. I mean, you could say the same thing about cops. Yet I want you know, and it's prime. I would watch that, but that just makes me feel bad. There's there's a charm in this documentary that even though you're watching debaucherous, absurd people who you're right have problems. There's times that I'm cheering for them. Then there's times where I want the lion to eat them all, the tiger. Like then there's times where I'm like, why am I here? But the addiction level is through the damn roof. Dude, like the way you're describing it is how I feel like everybody is watching this show because like I was listening to Dan Levitard before we started the show and he said the same thing. He said, if I didn't have to be up this morning to come and do this radio show, I would have finished that the whole show last night. Like because you, they just keep giving you these cliffhangers at the end of every episode where you're just like, wait, what? Wait, that that guy might have been dead the whole time? That, and, that lady is a, is a murderer? I, that guy's got like – I had uh, never heard of any of these people in advance. Had you? Um, I had seen Joe Exotic on the the John Oliver show because during the the presidential election in 2016. Because I don't know if you've gotten that far yet, no, where Joe ran for president. No, oh, we are in a spoiler friendly zone. Go ahead. But he okay, but he ran for president at one point, and they they filmed a couple of different um promos that J John Oliver played where he he basically laid out like they do in the beginning of the show that he's the gay gun toting polygamist tiger loving person who wants to be the next president of the country and i'm just like what was that sorry i hit the wrong button i meant this one <laughs> keep going brandon keep going okay the cheers will die down um but yeah so joe exotic man like like you said he might not even be the weirdest and most interesting character on this show because like I'm sorry, Carol Baskin, like, so Carol, has way too many good answers and way too many smiling faces every time that they ask her, hey, so how is it that they, these people think you kill, killed your husband? So the central conflict in this in this film, although it becomes about many more things beyond this, is that Joe Exotic is accused of constant exploitation of of tigers, right? By the way, he all, they also have bears chimps yes. and gorilla so like they have every kind of exotic animal you can think of of dangerous exotic animals he gets them 
when they're young, he charges exorbitant fees for you to come and like pet them, right? You know, and meet yeah. them up close. Um, then you have Carol, who is essentially trying to brand herself as the watchdog against this and is going to great lengths to uh so in the reality she's doing the same thing joe exotic is doing in terms of exploitation but she's framing it as like a as like a non-profit we are here it's to a, save them it's a rescue as a rescue and both and also their other competitors are just exploiting the animals almost as badly as they're exploiting their own employees. And they're basically creating like a cult like lifestyle. And then the central conflict of both Joe and Carol making their life's mission to ruin each other, either through suing on the legal system uh, publicly at to great lengths to publicly discount them or to even the level of spoiler alert, hiring a hitman. So, um, and then Brandon, so that's your central thing. And you're like, I got to get some popcorn. This is going to be crazy. And then the new characters start just drop parachuting in and Doc Antle, Bagdavan, Doc Bhagavan, Bhagavan, Doc Antle, who has nine wives, Brandon, at least I can't even begin like every like SNL movie that would have like a, a, like, I mean, think of like how ridiculous a movie like what's that? Um, the one where the guy's a fashion model, Ben Stiller. He's uh, oh uh, Zoolander. Think of a Zoolander esque character and just make this polygamist the most ridiculous, absurd guy ever. And this is a real person. And like these characters are just Doc Antle is. By the way, anyone that recently seen WWE's The Undertaker in a really creepy video in which he's in a pool with his wife, former WWE superstar Michelle McCool, and a tiger talking about saving them. Doc Antle's in the pool with them. He's a creeper. And this guy again. There's moments in the film where you're like, he's the probably the guy I would most want to be in this story. Until five minutes later, you're like, he may have killed a man. <laughs> well dude how about mario in miami who was sentenced to a hundred years in prison for being a part of whatever the scar-faced real life story was where there was a fbi agent chopped up in a bathroom that oh, yeah, he was there tony for montana right the tony montana character and he was sentenced to a hundred years in prison and somehow got out got off on a technical creepy uh, uh, yeah <laughs> You're going to make nobody want to listen to the end of the showdown. And then Jeff Lowe enters the conversation, the Godfather. And he's basically (laughs) wearing nothing but affliction. (laughs) Like, imagine the just bleed guy, like 20 years later, dressed in affliction sweatshirts and he's bald and he's wearing a do rag. And yet he's got millions of dollars and lives in Vegas and also is a swinger and uses Joe Exotic's small animals to lure as he said in the film so eloquently, small P equals large P? <laughs> Brandon, Lord. Brandon, <laughs> what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? I, I'm i just waiting for the press release that comes out that Dana White has to say, I didn't know this guy, even though we definitely have hung out before. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm waiting um to find out that this is all fake like a jerry springer type deal where everyone's playing a role because it's so damn unbelievable uh kudos to whoever made this doc 
I didn't even hear it was coming. It literally just showed up like three days ago. Then you were going nuts on it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a chance. And then it became that same addiction that everybody's going through. Levitard's right. This morning, I didn't want to do any work. I didn't want to do this pod. I just wanted to keep watching. I can't wait to see what happens in the end. We will continue to talk about this. But uh, try to go back into your head of where you are, where I am. Five episodes in. Um, Who's the MVP? At this point of this show, Brandon, not the most ethical person, not the most likely to live to the to episode seven. Um, but of this actual real life story, the the person that makes this show so damn entertaining, it's got it's got to be Joe Exotic, right? I mean, he's a star. His country music videos are freaking amazing. That makes the show the most exciting, that, or is like the good guy no, in the I'm show? I'm thinking more entertainment, just compelling, just like. I mean, the Joe Exotic is the show. Like, he is who the show is about. Like, and you see throughout the episodes, like, there's a reason for that because the dude got addicted to the the fame and like being the star of the show. Like, that's kind of like where where this ends up crescendoing for him is like he became the star of the show and then it got bad. <laughs> um, we got to get him on this show. Can we call him oh, in prison? No, no. Why? Don't meet your heroes, bro. Bro, we're we're well past that. Now it's just like I I just I need I need a piece of this. I just like oh, wow. We could probably get Jeff Lowe. I'm de- I'm like not kidding. I feel like he's a definitely a big supporter of UFC. I think I've seen I've had to have seen this guy in person before. Wow. Um, who? Do you What's your fa- what was your favorite parts? Like, what was your favorite moment so far? Where you were just like. Oh my so god! Here's the problem with with this, it's so addicting that you just consume it. It's like um, first time I watched The Wire, my favorite show of all time, HBO five seasons. There would be points in like seasons two and three when it's just so amazing that I'm watching five episodes in a row. And Brandon, when you don't have that pause time in between to fully digest what you just saw and let it sink in, and then go online and read like a recap article about it, and just kind of like. Talk, call somebody up and be like, dude, what do you think about this? This is crazy. When you just keep going, it all runs together. That, um, like I said, there's not only are the, are the turns and the cliffhangers amazing, but it's almost as if every time you're like, that guy's the hero or that guy's the safest one. The camera guy, the, 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 you know, the guy I'm talking about, the inside edition camera guy. Yeah. The yeah, chain yeah. smoking camera guy. I'm like, that's uh, the only that's Sam Elliott. That's uh, yeah, he's the Sam Elliott to to Joe's uh Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. There's times where I'm like that's the only guy that's the only adult in this show. And then he's accused of burning all those alligators and uh it's the film, the the show because it was his show. It's so so yeah, what's the biggest turn? Um when I finally realized before they told me that uh that Carol probably murdered her first husband yeah that's pretty like i was like oh she's not who i thought she was like so i for a while you start thinking okay carol's got good intentions but she probably abuses the system and she's probably a blowhard no Dude, she's no. she's she's like the de- and then you hear her backstory which is oh god it's devastating Dude, um, she's killing you while she's killing you while smiling in your face like the the her first husband who who again allegedly just vanished and died without a trace um the family that was left behind got 10 percent of the this multi-millionaire's estate and then when they made a stink about it saying that they believed they deserved more she threatened to take everything from them (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, the swerve when I read employees like, you know, there's times when I'm actually thinking that that Joe Exotic is like the victim in all this, like right. And then the second later, you're like, he made his mom bankrupt and and on the verge (laughs) of going to jail. Like this is like okay. So I got to ask you this. There's two questions: Who's the most morally sound, and who's the most airy? You know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Airy, uh, airy. uh, irre- irre- irreprehensible? Maybe. Maybe. Or reprehensible? Who's the, the biggest piece of trash in the show? Okay, that's what I needed to know, Brandon. I mean, is the is the long-haired guy who works for Joe Exotic, is he possibly, the guy with legs, is he possibly the most morally sound person? Or maybe the one-armed uh, woman? Yeah, I mean, it's her or the dude you were just talking about, because that guy, that guy ended up being my favorite character at the end just because... He just he hates everybody. He thinks everybody's an, an a hole who's just out to get him or out to like out for themselves. And he's just like, I'm taking care of these animals every day, man. You guys aren't doing anything to help us. So I I might agree with that in a and weird dude, way. The dude, I have... no, the dude with no legs, though, too. He was like, dude, I'm just running the zoo. Like, get these get like, I don't want these cameras around us. Like, that was the whole point of this. That this 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 camera crew, this film crew was making this movie for five years and then they just kind of realized that this is a show that we're going to have to make into a seven part series. I mean, in terms of documentation, it, it's up there with the OJ one that ESPN put out. Remember that one? That's like a million hours. It's probably going to be as good as that Michael Jordan 98 Bulls one that ESPN might come out with eventually. I mean, it's uh, it's so great. The biggest victim, I think are the animals probably, but I almost want to throw in there the employees of everyone, not only the employees of Joe dirt uh, exotic there who, (laughs) who don't get paid, live with rats in their drawers and don't eat. They eat expired meat that is given to the animals. How about the employees that uh, doc antler, the female ones that he just brainwashes and cult style bangs him and then lets him go. That chick with the fireplace and the, in the cat, I felt bad for her. Again, like I, I still feel like I need to shower again to just rub all of this grossness off of me. But I also want to go back and watch this again because it was just so ridiculous. I've got two and, and a half I, episodes to go, and I'm cheering. I'm at the point where I'm legitimately cheering for the animals to eat them on camera. <laughs> That's the only. Well, you, you already saw the part, right, with Jeff Lowe? Yes, and that was the first time where I wasn't afraid, and I was like, "Yes, yes, go bite down, please." Save yourself, right? Somebody like the Simpsons. Somebody just open the doors to the zoo and let all these let, let them go run wild and free. Wow, I can't even believe that we that I would on my MMA pod give like a you know half hour to this. I say that the same week I'm going to do an hour podcast on Mark for Death with Steven Seagal on the boxing show. Thanks so for the invite, you. bro. Appreciate it for that. But um, this show, it, like it, it literally, it'll it'll grab you in in your and you're not going to want to let go, and then eventually you're going to. Uh, wonder how those scars got on you and how you can hide them. And then at some point you're going to live in those scars and you're going to hide food in those scars. And then at another, like, and then you want to scar others basically. I mean, it's, it's just a vicious damn cycle. It's called tiger King. Um, you know what I haven't done to protect spoilers. I haven't Googled these people and I want to so bad. Every time I watch any movie show documentary, I'm always pausing Brandon and going right to like Wikipedia and trying to get the yeah. backstories. I don't want to know yet. No, you can't. You got to you got to just stick through the end of the show before you start looking up backstories on different people. But at the end, yeah, you're right. We're getting Jeff Lowe on the show. Okay, we are. We are. We are. We're get, in fact, you know, oddly enough, uh Joe Joe uh Exotic's first husband, the guy with no teeth. <laughs> I 
I actually feel, you know what, As at this point, I don't know if he ends up dying or not, but at this point, he actually might be the most morally, not, or, I don't know if morally sound is the right word. He, as Brent Brookhouse said, he's got more Joe, tattoos with the name Joe on it than he does teeth, but um, <laughs> I feel like I feel be- I feel the worst for that guy up to this point. Although I think the next the second husband's about to die of drugs or something. I, spoiler: alert, I'm on I'm on the edge of the cliff with him. It's wild. All right, all right, we need to end the show now so you can watch the end of this fifth episode. Wow, wow, you're gonna wow. you're gonna have a different feeling when you finish the end of the fifth episode. <sighs> That's Brandon Wise. Uh, special thanks to our guests Henry Cejudo, Marlon Marais, Frankie Edgar. We'll keep fire in these uh, interviews we got at you. They are pretty timeless as we all wait on what the future of MMA will bring us. Will we get Tony Habib? Nobody really knows. Continue, please, out there to stay safe. Listen to the State of Combat podcast. Let this be a part of your week to unplug, get away. We got some fun episodes. We're going to be doing some stuff with Rashad Evans coming up. Uh, looking back on the big moments in his own career. Deep diving because we got that kind of time right now. Like I mentioned, this week's State of Combat boxing episode. Looking back at that all action 1990 classic my favorite action movie of all time brandon marked for death with steven seagal have you seen it thanks for the invite bro have you seen it it doesn't matter i haven't seen it no it could have been a homework assignment you gave me to to watch and then talk about but no that's fine sorry i figured we were you know balls deep in this tiger crap all right you weren't gonna talk about this until you started watching it last night (laughs) This guy, this guy, Brandon Wise, I don't know. I don't know. He's always so angry. Always so upset. Is that a 97 Marlins autographed bat? Why did you just... Alright, end, end the show. End Okay. I'm walking away from my computer now. For Joe Exotic and Doc Antle, my name is Brian Campbell, and we are out.